For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, oh, welcome back to Herd Tell. He's one of our favorites. He's been on here multiple times before. I still have to practice saying his name, James Arnowski. We love him to death. He's great on stuff like tech, on regulations, on big tech, and why it is and is not scary stuff. James, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I love having you back. Okay. Uh, almost all the tech stuff has been relegated to the back page because uh, this guy named Elon Musk, you might have heard of him. Uh, is trying to take over Twitter. Um, Give me the sales pitch on it. Before we get into this, give me the good and the bad of it because you actually know the technical side of this stuff. You know the regulatory side of this stuff, the stuff that's going on in Congress. What Turn the noise down for me. Give me the good and the bad of this story. Let's assume if Elon Musk is able to take over Twitter. Sure. So Elon Musk officially put out a bid to buy Twitter for $43 billion dollars. Um, This was because he felt that Twitter was not a viable option to be profitable and do well uh, if he had just stayed at the position that he was at, where he could have had a seat on the board and tried to change the company that way. He felt like that there were too many big changes that were needed with the company. So he felt like the only way to really go and put Twitter at its best position was if he completely bought it out and took it private. Uh, So he put the offer at $54.20 a share. Uh, nice little subtle 420 reference because of typical Elon fashion. Uh, so that's that's more or less the, the broad strokes of what happened here. Uh, originally, the board did try to resist the buyout from, from Elon by putting a poison pill into effect. But once Elon Musk had announced that he had secured the funding, so basically being able to put the money where his mouth was, uh, it made it very difficult for the board to resist accepting the offer because I think the reality was that they couldn't really find anybody that could go and match or beat his offer to be their white knight uh, or to come up with some other strategy that could justify to shareholders why they would turn down an offer uh, that benefits the shareholders because of their fiduciary responsibilities. So Elon's going to go and take over Twitter, assuming you know you cross the T's and dot the I's and everything's fine from a regulatory perspective with the FTC reviewing the deal. Uh, and now really the question is, is what is Elon Musk's Twitter look like? And I think that while he has certainly offered some glimpses as to what he thinks uh, Elon Twitter would look like, uh, that's a lot different when you're an armchair CEO versus an actual CEO of a company. So I think that he's got a, a lot to figure out in this space. And it'll be interesting to see out of everything that he has pontificated on, what becomes a reality versus what becomes just, you know, wordplay. Yeah. And one of the reasons everybody wants to talk about the content side of this, and I get that because that's what we use. It's a user platform. 
Let's take a second, though, and talk about the business side of this real quick, though, because that's the part that actually really matters here. One of the reasons the board felt they had to take this offer is because this is an insane amount of money for the platform when you look at its actual value. Now, this is all stock. This is all projected. We understand how those things work. But the thing about Twitter is, unlike Facebook, unlike um, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and other platforms like that, Twitter doesn't make a lot of money. And I know everybody's seen that $44 billion, but as a business, Twitter has not worked as a business for quite some time, at least in the realm you would think it would with the amount of outside influence it has. So when they started seeing those dollar signs, that's kind of what really pushed this forward as much as anything Musk was doing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that that's one of the underappreciated factors of the story. And that's something that I certainly harped on in, in numerous media interviews that I've done on the subject is that. Twitter was not, and you, you can only afford to be what you can afford to be, right? You, Twitter could not afford to be a company that was extolling the virtues that it was when the company did not have healthy profit margins. It was having inconsistent revenue. Uh, it was having a hard time monetizing the users that they had in the same way that we've seen other big tech, if you will, uh, platforms be able to do this. So, you know, it, it did make it very difficult for the board to justify to shareholders if they were going to reject Elon Musk how they were going to go and produce similar, if not more, value to the shareholders than that buyout offer from Elon Musk to go private. So I think that there's a lot of uh, factors that ultimately led to it, but certainly because of the fact that Twitter was probably one of the more unsuccessful companies in terms of its ability to become profitable and viable on its own, that led to the opportunity for the company to get bought out. Now, because you study this stuff and you cover it and you know a lot more about it than I do, explain this to me like I'm five. There's still a regulatory review process here. This is, I, I know they've agreed to it, but still on paper, this is a hostile takeover. That's a very highly regulated thing. There's a lot of rules involved on that. There has to be, you know, there's got to be third party financing that has to be verified by another third party. Just real quick, talk to people because I know everybody's acting like Elon's in charge already. He's not. This is going to take at least a couple months, probably at least into the winter to get all this done. Just talk about that process real quick because you do understand the regulatory side of these things when it comes to these big tech companies. Yeah. So I think that it's uh, I think that the hostile takeover portion actually got removed when Elon changed his offer uh, a little bit to account for some things. So I don't think it's technically considered a hostile takeover anymore. It's just a proper buyout. Uh, you know, offer that was accepted by the company. Uh, so I think that now basically the big hurdle that remains is for the FTC to decide whether or not they're going to uh, weigh in and try to block this merger from going through for some reason. But like you mentioned, yes, there has to be uh, verification of assets. There has to be, you know, proof that people have the money they say that they're going to have in terms of buying out the company. There's also how many shareholders are going to accept that buyout offer or try to retain their shares in the company when it goes private in Elon's fashion. So particularly with that example, there was a Saudi prince that had a pretty sizable stake in Twitter that rejected his 54.20 offer, thinking that there was more value to Twitter than that. Now, given where the current price of Twitter is on the stock market, it seems like shareholders disagree with the prince from Saudi, uh, unsurprisingly. So uh, what's happening now is that it actually saved uh, Elon Musk over a billion dollars not having to go and pay this guy out uh, up front, right? So there's a lot of moving parts, but basically, like you said, there has to be verification of the money. The FTC has to decide whether or not they're going to try to block this from happening on antitrust grounds, potentially, which the Open Markets Institute uh, sent a letter to Chairman Khan 
uh, Chairwoman Khan, rather, to go and say that there is justification for preventing this merger underneath the guise of uh, old rules that govern this space. Uh, I'm not entirely sure whether that bid will be successful or whether or not Chairwoman Khan will actually step in to try to prevent this from occurring. But uh, assuming that all that goes through, like you said, it's not like Elon Musk is in charge of Twitter right this second. This is this is literally going to take multiple months for all of it to get ironed out if it's if it's successfully acquired, which is why whenever Elon's tweeting about what he would do in Elon Twitter, it's always if the sale is approved. Right. Uh, so we have to get to that point and then we can go and talk about it. But the funny thing, like you mentioned, is that people are treating it like Elon is owning Twitter right now. The placebo effect of it has been quite humorous to look at because you have conservatives saying, oh, we got more followers, we got more reach. You have liberals claiming that there's you know, more uh, hate speech and, and whatever. But the reality is, is that Twitter has been Twitter this whole time. And as a matter of fact, because of the fact that they're in this process of getting bought out, they can't really do anything to change their product drastically because of the fact that that could impact their sale. Yeah. And let's, we're going to, we're going to talk about that portion of it, how everybody's avatar Elon Musk all of a sudden, we'll get to that in a minute. Let, let's stick to the business side of this for just a second though, because um, I, let me be the skeptic for a minute, because I do this. I've been accused of being skeptical from time to time from by you and other folks. Uh, not too long ago, 2018, Musk got himself in trouble on Twitter because he talked about taking Tesla private and that cost him a nice $20 million fine. Tesla had to pay a $20 million fine. He had to step down as chairman of Tesla for at least five years. This is all the same people that are going to be doing some of the regulatory oversight of this deal. Normally in a deal, when you do this, everybody gets quiet until the deal's done. Now, I know Elon Musk is his own beast. I know he's a big celebrity. He's gone the other way. He's getting louder and louder and louder about all this. That's that's kind of a red flag to me of are we actually going to get there? Now, I know I'm in the minority opinion here, but just play along for a second. He does little things like the 420 stock price. He does little things like his latest tweet about they're going to have 69 million users. That's not accidental. Elon Musk does this stuff all the time. That's not an accidental number. Um, he gets louder and louder and louder about this. He's already gotten in trouble with his tweeting before. Am I wrong to have at least a little skepticism of, hey, this thing ain't done yet, and Elon Musk is pretty much a live wire that does what he wants and does not think things through like complicated business deals sometimes? No, I think it's perfectly healthy to have a decent bit of skepticism that the deal gets done uh, because it ain't over until everything's signed and approved by all the right parties. So I don't think that it's unreasonable to be skeptical especially with Elon's history with uh, tweeting. Now, he has been overly critical of the SEC's department, particularly that's located in San Francisco. They think that he's being targeted. And then with the DOJ and some other folks investigating Tesla more broadly, uh, there certainly is cause for him to believe that he is being targeted because of his heterodox thinking. That is just his opinion on the matter. But I think that, again, when we're looking at uh, Elon and, and his different tweets, it presents a unique problem because normally, like you said, these deals go through, everybody stays quiet, they just want to get it done and over with. But Elon's, you know, putting his thoughts out there uh, very openly, and it could cause different problems. But that being said, none of it technically violates the term sheet that they signed for him to purchase Twitter. He can talk about Twitter and like what he would like to do underneath Musk Twitter, but he can't go and sit there and talk about the deal uh, in any kind of um, you know negative light or anything like that, because then that would be violating the, the actual terms of the agreement that he signed. 
uh, with Twitter and he'd pay like a $1 billion uh, breakup fee uh, for not doing the following through with this transaction. So there's plenty of incentive for Elon to watch what he's saying if he genuinely does want this to go through. Um, and also it is worth noting that it's not like he has to put up the $43 billion anymore because uh, originally it was just going to be him half all the way through trying to do it through Tesla stock. But now he has half of it done through banks and he has other people that are electing to go and stay as shareholders in the new Musk Twitter. So there's lots of ways in which that he's mitigated some other risk against himself. Yeah. Talking to our friend James Ranowski, uh, Young Voices contributor, really smart guy when it comes to this tech stuff. We're going to take a quick break. We come back on herd tell we're going to continue to talk about elon musk we're going to talk about the free speech aspect of this we're going to get into the content of twitter something james has done a lot james has done a lot of media on both sides of the spectrum i'm going to ask him about how some of the reaction has gone because he's got it from both ends uh, in a couple different places more with our buddy james on herd tell right after this Now let me see you go off like a bomb. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Continuing with our friend James Arnowski, great guy, really smart guy on this stuff. Make sure you're following. You'll see his Twitter handle on the bottom third graphic right there. Good guy. Always enjoy talking to him. Okay, I want to ask you this before we get into the content stuff. Everybody's got an opinion on this. You've done both uh, progressive and liberal media outlets. You've done conservative outlets. You're a good guy to ask about this because I've caught your interviews from both sides of the aisle on this thing. What's your read on how much this thing has become an avatar for people? Because, man, people sure got convinced in a hurry that Elon Musk was this, that, or the other just based off of this. I find it fascinating, but you've been out there. You've been doing these interviews. What's your feel of that? Because this really does seem like it's become a funnel for some of the ongoing culture war stuff, hadn't it? Well, I mean, that's no lie that Elon decided to buy Twitter in part because of his feelings about the current state of culture in the United States surrounding free speech. Uh, unironically, Elon Musk, like many uh, folks that we've heard in recent days, claims to be a uh, free speech absolutist, if you will. But then it's, there's always some kind of uh, articulation as to not being free speech absolutist that I find that typically follows that. Um, when, when we're talking about, you know, how this has been politicized very uh, virulently by either side of the aisle, it's not surprising. 
um, especially given Musk's rhetoric and how he operates to our point when we were going before the break, talking about Musk and his tweeting, getting in, in trouble. Um, you know, that has certainly inflamed those that are on the liberal and progressive side of the spectrum because they see a guy who is insensitive to potential, you know, speech that could be deemed uh, hurtful and harmful, something that we might not find particularly nice to see on the internet, more broadly speaking. That being said, on the flip side of the aisle, conservatives see this as like, you know, a, a good opportunity to try and rebalance the scales. Conservatives for the past several years have felt like big tech has been targeting them. Right or wrong, that's how they feel. And they think that Elon Musk and his version of Twitter, which is supposed to be more free speech friendly, is a, is a potential solution that might offer more avenues for free speech uh, for conservatives on this subject matter altogether. So I think the reality is, is that both sides are probably overreacting to the news of Elon Musk buying Twitter. I don't think that Twitter is going to be radically shifted in a direction that either side of the aisle is going to particularly like. Um, you know, so I think that there's going to be some form of medium where some things on the margin are going to change. Uh, and we'll have to see how other things go in practice, because, again, he's been very, uh, you know, opinionated about stating that he does not want to go and permanently ban people. So this is a reference to Donald Trump. He has already announced that if he gets the sale approved, that he's going to go and uh, restore Donald Trump's account to Twitter. Whether or not Donald Trump chooses to use that remains to be seen. He has Truth Social that he's using uh, a little bit more now. So we'll have to just continue to monitor that. But I think that it's more about just seeing how the things lay out because it's one thing to be able to say all this stuff right now where none of the responsibility or accountability is on you right this second it's another thing to go and do it once you're actually in control and you are actually responsible for making this company that has been struggling profitable that's the number one concern i think that has to be there for musk is how to make twitter profitable for him because that $43 billion represents 20% of Elon's wealth as an individual. So it's not an unsizable investment for him. Yeah. And the Tesla folks are pretty openly nervous about this thing. If you get below the headlines and start reading into the stockholder stuff, but I'm talking about the real money people, not the fans. They, they've got questions about this because this is a big chunk of money going uh, in a different direction. Let me just put it to you directly then. I keep getting told on my social media that Elon Musk is a quote unquote free speech absolutist. Is there evidence of that, though? Because I've seen some troubling things out of Elon Musk when it comes to things like free speech. And I'm not saying that he's not against it in principle, but in actions and practicalities, there's been a few things over the years that I've kind of went, mm, I'm not sure about that guy. Is his actions matching the rhetoric that people are putting on him that he's going to be this great champion of freedom of speech? Yeah, I think that that's the interesting thing. Uh, like I said, a lot of folks like to claim that they are free speech absolutists, and then there's usually always a caveat that follows that up. So Elon Musk claims to be a free speech absolutist, but he has had incidents over the years where, uh, for example, I know that there was an employee of Tesla that was going and showing the auto uh, drive functions uh, of his Tesla vehicles, got into an accident and was criticizing the company. Uh, for that. And that employee got fired. He tried going and gagging it. There was a Twitter account that was uh, actively tracking all the flights that Elon Musk was doing to see where he was at. Elon Musk tried gagging that too by buying the person out and then trying to sue to get the account taken down uh, because he thought that it was a violation of his privacy. So there's, there's lots of ways in which Elon Musk's adherence to free speech principles doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, line up with what the actual ideal is supposed to be. But to be honest, that's, that's, any human. Like, I, I find it hard to believe that you'll find a true free speech absolutist anywhere. I think that there's always the caveat 
of people saying free speech uh, and being pro-free speech is usually I like, you know, things that I like and not things that I don't like. Uh, they want to see less of those kinds of things. Uh, President Barack Obama did a talk at Stanford where he also invoked being a free speech uh, absolutist and then went on to go and talk about misinformation and disinformation and why he, you know, we need to go and crack down on that. So even though misinformation is still protected speech. So there's there's lots of ways in which I think people uh, like to go and invoke that language because there is a certain tenor about it that is, uh, I think, reminiscent of patriotism and, and the history of America and our founding principles, obviously. But in terms of people ever living up to it wholeheartedly, no one's ever going to do that. So it's not surprising to me that Elon Musk is not like this, you know, free speech absolutist in practice that he likes to claim that he is. Yeah, um, I, there's a couple of reporters that would uh, disagree with President Obama, but let's not rehash all that today. <laughs> um, I think Elon is giving us that very caveat going through his tweets. Um, he recently on uh, May the 9th, which was just a couple of days ago as we sit and record this, he got into a conversation with Sir Novik of all people, which somebody who loves him needs to get a hold of him and be like, quit tweeting with certain people. And that's one of them. But that's neither here nor there. And talking about left wing bias. And he straight up says that Twitter obviously has a left wing bias. But then he tweeted this. I'm going to quote it because I found it very interesting and it peaked my ears up. He said, like I said, my preference is to hew close to the laws of countries in which Twitter operates. If the citizens want something banned and pass a law to do so, otherwise it should be allowed. And the reason that caught my attention is on the surface, that's pretty standard tech bro speech for, you know, especially with the EU and some of the restrictions over there. Elon Musk has a lot of money riding on China. China, if you're going to apply that to China, that means you're going to follow their rules, which are very restrictive. I don't see him criticizing China the way he's criticizing America and the situation in Ukraine and the EU, which he has had a long running battle with on a couple different levels. That shows up as a red flag to me. How does it feel to you? Yeah, I, I, you're not the first person to obviously point out the China ties. I think that uh, there's they, like with any of the American companies that have operations and interests tied with China, that it's not surprising that perhaps you take a little bit more cautious of a tone uh, when even thinking about entering the realm of, of the Asia markets. Uh, so it's not surprising that, uh, you know, maybe he's a little bit more careful since a lot of the, uh, I believe it's his batteries for the Teslas that get produced over there in China. Um, so there's definitely, I think, a valid concern there to, you know, vet out. We'll have to see how that is. But even within that statement, right, like it actually goes in, then goes when cuts against his exact point of being a free speech absolutist insofar as that if you're talking about this in the American context, uh, you know, one would think that you'd want to apply this across the board no matter where you operate, but then you're acquiescing to the localities, which there are a lot of localities that have a lot more restrictive speech laws on the books than, you know, might be ideal by American values. Um, so I think that that's actually something that's a little self-defeating. So the EU commissioner uh, was actually just at his Tesla plant in Austin, Texas, and then posted a video with him uh, and then tried to basically insinuate that Elon more or less endorsed the DSA, the Digital Services Act, uh, European tech regulation of social media um, and the Internet, more broadly speaking. And I think that that's actually a horrible thing uh, that the EU commissioner did that only because Elon doesn't own Twitter yet. And he, Elon is not a politician. The man does not think about any of that kind of stuff. And I think like if we said, hey, we want to go and crack down on, uh, you know, uh, hateful speech or like whatever. There's certain broad stroke things that I think people can broadly agree to. But then like anything else, the devil's in the details. 
Um, so that's that that kind of stuff, I think, is definitely worth having a closer examination at. And it was just completely inappropriate, in my view, at least for the EU commissioner to go and leverage Elon in that kind of a position, because what's he going to say, like, especially because he has those vested interests in Europe. Um, I think that at the end of the day, there's there's a lot of balancing parts that have to get you know taken into account. And we'll have to see, because, again, this is going to be the actual test is how how is this actually going to be applied in practice? across markets that have different kinds of speech rules. Yeah, is uh, the commissioner's name, Theory Brenton. And Elon actually tweeted the video, retweeted the video that that man put out and then said, great meeting, we were on the exact same page underneath it. Uh, we're going to have to keep a close eye on that one going forward. All right, since you brought it up, uh, let me just go there with it. We just talked to our friends in the UK about this a couple of days ago. Let's take something like the UK where like, you know, whenever I do an interview, the FCC, because this goes out on radio, I have to tell my guests, hey, we got to be FCC compliant. Don't curse on the air if you can help it. Right. Well, if you go over to the UK, you can curse on the air, but you don't have the libel law protections in the UK that I have on this program where I can say things about certain people and I have legal protection. How's stuff like that's going to play with something like Twitter, where we've seen things like in the UK, where the tabloids and others have wound up in court over uh, libel laws, slander laws over what we call pretty run of the mill uh, statements. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, again, this is where people don't realize just how permissive our, our speech is on Twitter and Facebook and a lot of these platforms. You can complain about their decisions that they make. And there certainly is some, you know, uh, veracity to wanting to complain about how they are making some decisions sometimes. But I think that at the end of the day, we are still far more permissive on our platforms in the United States than anywhere else in the world, bar none. No one comes even remotely close. So with the UK, they have an online harms bill right now, which includes trying to tackle things. It tries categorizing the risk. It tries sitting there and saying, oh, like suicide and misinformation and all this other kind of material that's out there and trying to regulate that speech, which again, if it was in the United States, would get struck down by a court as being unconstitutional for trying to infringe upon the free speech rights that Americans hold dear, um, which include topics that we do find uncomfortable at the end of the day. But the UK is trying to legislate this. I know like in part of their report for trying to justify why they want to do this, they cited the fact that children are exposed to uh, rap music online and, and uh, you know, cursing that might happen there to our point about our FCC compliance versus non-FCC compliance. Um, I think that it's, it's very fascinating to see, um, you know, the UK and other worlds, I think, just do a great job of highlighting just how special the United States is. Uh, we, we have a very permissive culture for speech, although that is culturally, at least, getting hit down a little bit with the way that uh, some folks handle speech, particularly with like weaponizing the notion of misinformation and other things. So I think that we can certainly be better about that conversation. Uh, and it'll be interesting to continue to monitor that going forward. Yeah, James Zarnowski, uh, you are always on point with your stuff. You get better every time I talk to you, my friend. I really appreciate your insight on these things. Definitely will have you back. It's been too long since we've had you on, but you're a busy man. It's hard to get you on the show nowadays. Um, until we get you back on again, though, let folks know where they can follow you on your social media, your writing. You're doing a ton of media stuff. So let them know where they can keep up with you, see all your clips and your great writing. And some of the, because you've got a lot of regulatory things you're keeping your eye on. Let folks know what you're doing with that as well, my friend. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at jamescz19. That's where I usually pontificate and throw a lot of my bad takes out there uh, <laughs> on tech policy and all other musings that's going on, like my haircut that was overdue by five months. But you've got uh, Twitter is probably the best place to follow me. I have my own personal website at jamesstranowski.com. 
uh, where I try to go and update from time to time with any writing and media hits that I do do. Uh, and also, I always recommend following Young Voices uh, as an organization on Twitter uh, and on their website. They also update whenever I do media hits with great people like yourself and others. Yeah, we're really proud of Young Voices. That's where we um, we had James on back before I was officially part of Young Voices, actually. Uh, they do great work, just celebrated their anniversary. And uh, the haircut looks great. I was giving you a little hard time, but to be honest, I got to go get one today, too, because I got a kid graduating high school this weekend, so I got to go slick up, too. So, uh, my friend, I always appreciate the time. Always enjoy talking to you. Let's do it again soon, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you.